My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking for I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, no, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay, and he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him, yeah. You know, I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. And he came from college just the other day, so much like a man I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He says, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up to be just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. Those are the lyrics um, to Harry Chapin's number one hit uh, from the 70s, The Cat's in the Cradle. And I'm sure a few of you recognized it fairly early on. Is anyone born after the 90s who recognized that song? Good on you, good on you. You have good parents. This song was, um, was written by, by Harry Chapin's wife, actually about um, her first husband and his relationship with, uh, with his father, but it became somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy for, uh, for Harry Chapin. It was in the, in the summer of, um, of 1981 when Harry Chapin's wife asked him when he was going to slow down the pace of his life and spend a bit of time with, with his family and with his children. And he said, at the, busy, at the end of this busy summer, I'll take some time out and I'll spend some time with my kids. Uh, he never made it to, to the end of that summer. He had a heart attack while driving his car on the highway, swerved all over the place, got rear-ended by a truck, uh, fuel tank exploded. They managed to get him out the car, but after, after quite some time trying to revive him at, um, at the hospital, he, he didn't make it. So he never got to spend that, that time. He never got to slow down and spend that time with, with his kids. A very contrasting story to that one is one about um, an Olympic canoeist. His name was um, Bill Havens, and it's one of the most powerful stories in Olympic history. Uh, he's said to be a shoo-in for, for the gold medal in, um, in, the, in the canoe discipline uh, at, the, at the 1924 Olympic Games that were held, being held in Paris. 
But a few months before the games were held, he learned that his wife would likely give birth to their first child. She told him that he could go on his go and do it and, and get the medal, but this was one milestone that Bill just didn't want to miss. So he surprised everyone and stayed home. Bill greeted his infant son Frank into the world on August 1st, 1924. Though he always wondered what might have been, he said he never regretted his decision. When I found the story, it, um, it omitted the fact that the games were actually run from the, from the 4th of July until the 27th of July. So his son was born on the 1st of August. Uh, he could have actually made it, but of course would have missed his wife's final, final months of pregnancy. Well, he poured his life into that little lad and shared with him a love for the Rapids. 24 years passed and the 1948 Olympic Games came around in Helsinki in Finland. This time Frank Havens was chosen to compete in the canoeing event, Frank, his son. The day after the competition, Bill received a telegram from his son that read, Dear Dad, thanks for waiting around for me to be born in 1924. I'm coming home with a gold medal that you should have won. It was signed, your loving son, Frank. Many would question Bill Haven's decision to miss his big opportunity in Paris, but he never wavered. He wanted his family to know that they always came first, no matter what. And that made him a hero to a little boy named Frank. Okay, so those are two very, very different stories, um, two very different men, two very different lives lived, uh, but they share a common thread, and that is, intentional or not, uh, both of these men set out very clear priorities in their lives. Um, they put certain things first in their lives and, and, and lived, lived out the results of that. Harry Chapin, he pursued his career and everything came with it. Um, being a famous musician, he would have spent hours uh, writing, recording, touring, interviews, radio shows. Um, his career is what he pursued and uh, I'd love to tell you that he was a, a greedy man who, who just was doing it for money. Um, but he was actually, he was actually a philanthropist and, he, and a humanitarian and he started various charities. He was invested in the arts in his, in his hometown um, and he was he subscribed to all sorts of um, causes for, for world hunger and, and things. So he was, a, he was a great man. He really actually gave back a lot with, with, with what he had received. And Bill Havens, I mean, he unequivocally put his family first. Uh, and many people will say, you know, what could have happened? What could have happened if he had won that gold? He could have become, you know, one of the best canoe specialists of all time. He could have gone on to win three, four gold medals. Uh, we never know, but he chose, he made the choice to put family first, and I can't necessarily fault each man, um, actually, on, on, on what their choices were. They just had different priorities, um, and perhaps Bill, Bill Havens had a, had a, a slightly internal, internal mindset in terms of, of, of what he valued, um, in terms of putting family first, um, but he could have gone on to start a canoe academy or do all sorts of things with the money he earned and the, and the fame uh, and could have reached many lives. Now, what I don't know about either of these stories is where, uh, where each of these men stood with God, what their relationship with, with Jesus was. So there's no great, like, godly insight. There's no winner of each of these two men. There's nothing, nothing godly coming out of the story. But what I want to do is simply use it as a catalyst for us to think this morning and evaluate and assess what our priorities are in life. Okay. So how many of us this morning consider ourselves to be busy people? 
Give me a hand. Okay. I actually thought there'd be more. I think you're probably busier than you, than you actually think or than you were intended to be, but I certainly consider myself to be, to be busy, to live a busy life, to have, have busy days. Um, I'm a husband. I'm a father of, uh, of two girls, nine months and three years. I could pretty much stop there. I think that qualifies me. Um, but I run a business. Um, I work after hours, as, as Al mentioned, just on, on a lot of the church media and marketing stuff. I'm a leader in church that comes with responsibilities, uh, meetings to attend, uh, certain things to prep for. Uh, I'm an avid trail runner. I really enjoy getting outside in, in the bush and running around for quite a few hours. Um, and, and finally, I'm a dreamer, which takes up pretty much the rest of my, my headspace. The good, the good kind of dreaming, not the daydreaming. So yeah, I, con- I consider myself to, to have a fairly busy life. Uh, I regularly want to just run away to a cabin in the mountains at some point just to get away from it all, but uh, I don't do that. I'm here fighting the good fight. Um, but if you were paying attention to, to my list of, um, of things that, that qualify my, my busyness, uh, you may have realized that I missed pretty major category, and that is God. My relationship with God, um, my, my call from God, uh, God's work, essentially my purpose in this life from God. And uh, it's been omitted for a reason because for the past, uh, I actually look back, um, I, keep a, I keep all my sermons in, in one place and, and it's been exactly 30, just over 13 months since I, um, since I was last behind the mic in this capacity. Um, and, and not due to lack of opportunity, I've had opportunities to, to preach, but I've just been busy. I've just been busy doing, doing life. And okay, I've had, in that time, uh, we had another baby, and that really, you know, one to two just changes the game completely. Uh, there's two adults to one, but when there's two to two, it's, it's difficult. I'm getting raw smiles from the parents' corner. Um, it's just practically... El, can you just hit that timer for me, please? Or just subtract about 10 minutes or so and then hit that for me. <laughs> um, uh, where was I? Sorry. Being a parent, being busy. Um, and so I found myself in, in this place where, where, I, where I was very busy doing, doing my own stuff and, and raising children, raising family, and I, I was busy at work and, and busy at home and busy with, with still the, the church things that I was involved at, although I was trying to limit that. Um, and of course, I still had my own personal pursuits and I had to dream a bit every now and again. So I was very busy. And in that time which is something that I'm only really sort of coming to terms with now, and and it's actually the reason why I'm preaching this message. Um, This message is very much for me, so I thought it would be better than just standing in my room looking at the mirror. I'd come and speak in front of you people about it. Um, But yeah, it's just a message. It's a message for me, and when I preach, I always want to be able to to speak about something that that, that I need to work on. Um, So in amongst all these things, I couldn't find God. I couldn't find him anywhere. He wasn't, you know, just under the work or, or just above the kids or anything like that. He had, he had been pushed out of my priority ladder almost altogether. And I mean, practically, 
as I say, things are things are busy. Life is busy. It's it's. I could I could very easily justify uh, why I had no time for God. You know, I wake up in the morning at half past four with babies crying and bottles feeding. Then the other one wakes up and get dressed, get fed, get off to school, uh, watch the other one. Now she's awake that she doesn't eat the doll's shoe or pull the cat's hair out or get into the Tupperware or break the fine china. Then I got to get myself ready the whole time. Mornings are busy. Get to work. It's busy. Pressures, obviously, and stresses that come from work. Get home, maybe half an hour to chill, eat early supper, and it's bath, feeding, bedtime routine. The parents know it all. Um, it's, I have a busy day, but it's, it, it's no excuse. And I, I've been conflicted the whole time by where is God in my day? Where is God in my day? And, of course, what happens to a lot of us is, you know, God is the biggest problem with, with this whole cycle is that God is not here you know, he's not the one who is giving you deadlines and breathing down your neck. He's not screaming for his bottle at 4 a.m. You know, he's not the one inviting us to this and that um, social gathering, this bra and that dinner, um, asking us to, to be involved in, in three different ministries and, and be here on a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday. He's just not here, so we prioritize all these other things above, above God and his work and his purpose for our life. But this is not a predicament that is um, exclusive to you and I or even to, to this generation. And we're going we're gonna to jump into the, the book of Haggai, um, which I hope you've heard of. It's, uh, it's kind of easy to miss. It's like just a double spread, two pages, maybe back to back in your Bible. Um, so if you've got your Bible and you want to turn to it, uh, if you can do that without the index, I'll give you something. Okay. It's very hard to flick to Haggai. Okay, but it's, it's third book from the end of the Old Testament, just to give you a clue. Okay, and one of the second, sh- the second shortest in the Old Testament. But before we, before we get in there, um, I want to give you a little bit of background as to, as to where we're going to jump in. Uh, we'll know, most of us will know, the story of the Old Testament. Um, the Israelites have been, had been freed from slavery in Egypt. Uh, they'd come through the desert, come through many trials and tribulations and battles, and they found themselves in the promised land, settled in, uh, into the land that, that God had promised them. And under Solomon's watch, they built a magnificent temple. This is the house of the Lord uh, where, where the Ark of the Covenant, covenant is going gonna, is gonna to rest. Um, this is where God's presence was, was tangible in a, very, in a very special way. And it was a beautiful thing um, when, you, when you read about how they built it and, and what they did and, and the rooms and the, and the gold and everything. It, it, it was a... A spectacular building, and people it actually became a tourist attraction. People used to come from, from all over the place to come and see this, this temple. But in the centuries after Solomon, uh, the people repeatedly turned away from God in favor of idolatry, constantly turned their backs on the Lord. And as a result, God sent the Babylonian army under King Nebuchadnezzar to defeat Judah. They destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, as we know, raised the city to the ground, and completely smashed the temple to pieces. The Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon, and after 50 years, God raises up Cyrus of Persia, and he allows the Jews to go back to return to Judah under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. That's a real word. I checked my, I always check my dictionary.com audio versions. Say again, Zerubbabel. I thought it was Zerubbabel, but Zerubbabel we'll go with. 
Okay, so 50,000 Jews head back to Jerusalem, and what they find there is exactly what they left there. A pile of rubble, Jerusalem lies in ruins. So they get back, and immediately they start to rebuild the temple. They relay the foundations, and the Samaritans come along, and they offer to help. Jews say, no, thanks, we've got this. Samaritans get very offended, and they start to oppose the Jews as, they, as they're building this temple. And the opposition becomes so constant that they, they stop building. They essentially down tools as, as we know it. Um, and they never start again. Because there's plenty to do. There are, they're starting in their nation from scratch all over again. They've got their own homes to build and, and, and things, to, things to do. And, and that is what happens. Over time, they build houses, commerce gets started, stores open, farms get going, they plant and they harvest, uh, and life comes back to normal in, in Jerusalem. And this is where, where Haggai, the prophet of God, enters our story. So we're going to look there at Haggai 1 verse 2. Haggai is only, is only two chapters, um, but it's, it's so loaded. They call Haggai a minor prophet, but he, he comes with a, with a major message. And in verse 1, we pick up the story. The word of the Lord is coming through the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? God, I love that rebuke. A sarcastic rebuke is one of the best. It's not time for my house to be built, but it's time for you to build your house. Paneled houses, as, as they refer to, to here in, in, this, in the scripture, is, is a, um, essentially just a, a luxury home. Uh, they're built with stone more often in, in, than not in, in those days. So a simple stone house would suffice, but these are paneled homes. It, it, it gives us the sense that they're crafted and they're, I, I, I picture like those ornate ceilings you still get somewhere in Southernwood, um, those Southernwood houses and, and wood paneling. Uh, these are beautiful houses that have taken a lot of time and a lot of effort to build. And it's important to note um, just two things before, before we go ahead and, and just in, in these opening passages that the problem here is not the luxury home. That's not what it is. God isn't phased by the fact that, that um, the Israelites are living in luxury homes, but it's the fact that they've built these homes while God's house lies in ruin. So they've put themselves first. They've put their own homes first. They've built themselves a life while God's work lies in ruin. And the second thing is for us to, to, to make this relevant um, to our lives is that these people clearly had something to do. They had, a, they, had a, they had a mandate, they had a temple, they had a physical house, brick and mortar to, to build. Now, we don't necessarily have that. We've got a wonderful building here. Um, we don't need to build any, any church building, any, any temple for God. But the modern-day temple is us. It's, it's our house. It's, it's our body, should I say, our hearts and the hearts of others. So the temple that we need to build, God's house, we need to make a place where God can dwell. Essentially, the temple was a place where God can dwell. Where does He dwell now? He dwells in each of us and in the hearts of others. 
So it's our responsibility when we speak about building God's house to make sure that our dwelling is fit. Is, is, sorry, our body is a fit dwelling place for the Lord, that our hearts are fit for the Lord. And once that's sorted out, we go and we build the house of others. Okay, so just remember that when we speak about building the house, um, don't come and say, oh, I don't have any actual building to build. That is for the house of God that, that, that we are building. So now that we know that um, and we've established the relevance, we're going to just go through, through a few more scriptures in Haggai and, 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 and pull out some important points that we can, we can take home. Number one, we're not going to go further than that scripture, though, is stop making excuses. The people said, now is not the time to rebuild the temple. And it's one of our favorite lines, isn't it, as Christians? I need to go and pray about it. Hey, that's one of our favorite, favorite lines. Oh, I must go and pray about it. Mm, yeah, I'm not so sure if that's God's will. Let me go and pray about it. Um, but these people had a very clear instruction to, to go and do something. And it, it can be anything for us. It can be perhaps we get invited to, to go on a, on a mission trip or to come to something at church or to, to, to serve here in church. And always we say, oh, okay, I must just go pray about it. I haven't really heard from the Lord about this thing, so perhaps I shouldn't do it. But when you do it, are you doing it because you heard from the Lord not to do it? Hey, in the evening when you sit down and watch TV, is that something that you heard the Lord tell you to do? There are things in life that we need to just do and that we do and that we don't need the Lord to tell us to do. We have been commissioned. We need to go and build God's house. But we say it's not the time. Now is not the time. I need to get myself sorted. I need to provide for my family. You know, I need to, business is tough. The economy is bad. I need to, I need to pour into my business. Um, there's so many things that we can occupy our time with. Uh, and, and none of them are particularly evil or bad. That's what's, that's what's so tricky and so difficult about living uh, your life wisely is that it's not so often a choice between good and bad, but it's a choice between good and the best. Let me illustrate it this way with a, with a little story. A lighthouse along a dark coast was tended by a keeper who was given enough oil for one month and told to keep the light burning every night. One day a woman asked for oil so that her children could stay warm. Then a father came. His son needed oil for a lamp so he could read. Still another needed some for an engine. The keeper saw each as a worthy request and measured out just enough oil to satisfy all. Near the end of the month, the tank in the lighthouse ran dry. That night, the beacon was dark and three ships crashed into the rocks. More than a hundred lives were lost. When a government official investigated, the man explained what he had done and why. You were given one task, task only, insisted the official. It was to keep the light burning. Everything else was secondary. There is no defense. I love this quote that ties in with that. Do all you should, not all you could. There's so much in this life that we could be doing. So much to keep us, to keep us busy, to keep, keep us occupied. 
We make excuses like, I don't have time, Lord. I don't have money. I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't build your house. I just don't have the time for it. I've got so many other things. The truth is we each have 24 hours in a day to do whatever we want with. We have made choices in our lives to fill those hours with certain things. So to come with, with these excuses that we, we don't have the time is, is really not, not very valid. Okay, point number two, we're going to move on to verse five um, of Haggai, Haggai chapter one. It says, it's give careful thought to your ways. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, when something is repeated in Scripture within two or three verses, that's something that we must definitely pay attention to. And if it's repeated here, to me, it means that we need to repeat it constantly in our lives. We need to give careful thought to our ways. Because to put God first is not actually something that comes very naturally to us. Like I said, God isn't here. So there's many other things in, in front of us, before us, that we need to deal with. So naturally, God just moves back. He just moves down, down the priority ladder. So this is a, is a constant, constant thing that we need to do. Constantly evaluate where we are, where are our priorities, because seasons change as well. Like I said, I'm in, I'm in a season where, where I've got two little kids, which makes me naturally just very busy in the natural. Um, a few years ago, I didn't have kids. I would probably consider myself busy then too. Now I know what busy's like, and I know some of you have more than two kids, so Lord have mercy on you. Um, and then there's Gareth, who has about seven, I think. Shame, he's not even in the auditorium to defend himself. Um, but we go through these different seasons and, and, and different, things, um, different things happen and, and, and certain things become priorities in our life the whole time. So surely then we need to reevaluate what our priorities are very, very often. Because things can easily sneak up. I mean, just, just think about a, a project that comes up in, in, your, in your workplace. All of a sudden that takes priority. It consumes your thoughts. It consumes your mind. We need to take a step back and, and just reevaluate where, where is God? Where is He gone? <laughs> where is He gone? What, what is He hiding under? What have we hid Him under? So, here are seven questions. Um, if you're taking notes, this is a good time to write these down because there's something that you can, you can just take into your, into your quiet time and, and just reflect on. So, how are you spending your time? Again, we have 24 hours. The Jews had plenty of time um, to themselves, plenty of time to, to build their own homes, but they said now is not the time to build God's home. So check yourself. How are you spending your time? This is a litmus test for us to see where we are, where, how are our priorities stacking up. How are you spending your money, which is really God's money? They claimed that the, you know, they needed to build their own homes first, then they can come and build God's house, but they had it backwards. God says to us, He wants our first fruits. He wants the top. He wants us to come to Him first to build His house first and then take care of the rest. That might sound like, a, like something that Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. 
What are your goals? What is it that you're aiming in life? If you live to an old age, what do you want to look back on as far as accomplishments are? What are your goals? When you think about, what do you, when you think about yourself in a year's time, in five years' time, in ten years' time, what do you want to accomplish? How does that line up to, to God's goals for your life, what He wants you to do? What do you think about the most? For the dreamers in the house, like me, what secretly occupies your thought life? Do you dream of getting rich, of achieving fame, of some hobby, hobby or leisure pursuit? Or do you think about the Lord and how He wants you to spend your life? I'm guilty of that. I dream a lot about all sorts of things. Things in business and, and things in my personal life and just things that I want to achieve. It very seldom do I dream with God. Who are your heroes or role models? Who do you most admire and whom would you like to be like and why? Also a very good test. Who are we looking up to? Whose life are we trying to model and why are we doing that? Who are your friends? Whom do you like to spend time with? Why do you like to be with them? Your friends should be people who want to build God's house too. If we surround ourselves with people who are, who are busy with the busyness of life, we will get, we'll get distracted with them and we'll end up searching for God under this mass of, of other things. And finally, how do you spend your leisure time? When you have time off, how do you spend it? Do you watch TV? Do you live for sports? Do you hang out with friends? How does your leisure time reflect and affect your devotion to Jesus Christ? So take those questions to heart. Use those as a, as a test, a sounding board. Go back to those and check them. Just use them as a check in your life to see where your priorities are at. Moving on, number three, don't forget why. Verse 8 says, Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Do you know that you were created to give God glory? And that's it? Everything in creation was created to bring God glory. And if we don't get that, or we don't believe that, we're going to constantly be indifferent to spreading the message and the fame and the name of Jesus. So we need to understand that our lives here are to bring glory to God and everything that we speak, everything that we do, should bring glory to God. And essentially, the whole of what I'm preaching here is not about, not so much about physical priorities, but about heart priorities. The condition of your heart, what's first in your heart? And yes, the physical things are a manifestation of what is first in our hearts. So if we're putting our job or we're putting our family above the Lord, that is in our heart what is first and is manifesting in, in the natural. So don't forget why you're here. It is solely to bring God, God glory. Number four, and this is the, this is the final, final thing from this passage. Obey and be stirred. Then my main man Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord. Sorry, excuse me. Gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of 
Judah, and the spirit of Jeshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Obey. At some point in our lives, we need to make a decision to, to obey the call of God to build His house. And I think many of us have done that. Um, trust that's, that's why we're here. That's why we come to church because we've accepted that, that call from God. We've accepted Jesus into our lives, into our hearts. Um, and we come here to, uh, to get equipped and get empowered and to, and to celebrate what, what God is doing. But if, if, we, haven't, if we haven't obeyed, uh, we can't start to, to build God's house. So this morning, if, you haven't, if you've never, never obeyed the Lord, in this call, I'm going to give you an opportunity um, to respond just now. But for each of us as well, this is not really something that we do once off. We don't just obey God once off. And it's in the scripture because these are God's people, remember. They've come through a long journey with God. They've, they've come into his promised land. And now, again, they've, they've just lost sight of, of where God should be in their lives, where their priorities should be. And the word of the Lord comes through the prophet, and uh, it gets obeyed, which doesn't happen all that often, actually, in the Bible. Um, but these guys obey the word of the Lord, and then they start to move. There's repentance. There's repentance. Lord, I see the error of my ways, and I'm coming back, and I want to place your priorities ahead of mine. So if you've obeyed once in your life, it's okay to do it again. We need to come and do it again. We need to come and, and obey when the word of the Lord comes. We need to come and obey and act on it. And I love this part of the scripture that says, um, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of first the leaders and then the whole remnant, everyone that remains of the people. The Lord stirred them up. He stirred up in their spirits to put God first. I like, I like that because it kind of makes me feel a little bit better. Um, Firstly, I realize one thing, that what God is calling us to is actually not very easy. Like I said, we default back to, to putting a lot of other things before Him. But He stirred up. He stirred up in these people. He stirred up in their spirits to, to go and do the work. That for me tells me that we can't do this in our own strength. We need to be stirred up. We need to have our spirits stirred up. And, and Jesus sent, God sent the Holy Spirit to do that, to be our companion, to be our empowerer, to help us to walk this journey, to help us to put God first. And the other thing um, that comes out of this, this scripture is that with the decision to obey comes the blessing of His presence. God says, I am with you. When we put Him first, when we, when we put other things aside, God says, okay, now I'm with you. And every blessing of, of heaven and the abundance of heaven and the resources of heaven are with you. When God is with us, everything is with us and nothing can come against us. We're not left alone. And that is, that's what I love the most. It's a simple act of, of obedience to God and then things come together. They didn't, they didn't just start to build, they had their hearts stirred. And I love that. And that's what I want, that's, that's actually all I aim to do this morning is for us to to, I'm, not, I'm not preaching anything new. I don't, think, I don't think there's anything that I've said this morning that is new to you. We know about this. We know that God wants, he wants our first. He wants our everything. He wants, 
himself to be ahead of everything else in our lives. So this is one of those re-evaluation points. Consider your ways. That's all this morning is. Consider your ways. Let's sit and consider our ways. Consider where, how things are stacking up. I'm ending off with this. Imagine that um, when each of us is born, we receive like this massive red machine, or it can be any color you want, you can use your imagination, um, but it's got just one little slot like over here. It kind of looks like a, um, like a slot machine, I guess, like a, like a gambling machine. Um, so each, each of us, when we're born, receives, receives this. As we go from the hospital, we get our little machine, put it in our room, and every day when we wake up, there's one token. It releases one token to the value of one day in your life. And essentially what each of us do is we take that token and we go and we put it into, into one machine. And you've all been to the arcade uh, when we go and we run around as kids and we either want to play Tekken, some Skitten Donner thing, or, or we get on the bikes and play air hockey, whatever. You get one token, and you get one choice to make with that one token, and, and you don't get that token back. And it's the same as this machine that we have in our lives every day. We get this one token that is transferable for one day in our lives, and we go and we use it. We choose exactly how to use it. Today, I'm going to work for 18 hours straight. Today, I'm going to go to church. Today, I'm just going to spend time with my family. Today I'm going to build the Lord's house. It's important to know also, as I said, that this is about the heart as well. And, and of course, we have to, we have to work. Uh, we have to earn a living. These are things we have to do. I'm not, um, I'm not naive. But it's about the heart. We can do the Lord's work in our office place. We can do the Lord's work when we're out on the sports field, when we're running in the bush, whatever. We can do the Lord's work in, in everything that we do. But it's that choice to take that coin and just say, today I'm going to build the Lord's house. Okay, amen. Over the weekend, uh, over our men's camp weekend, we um, had Pastor see us with us and he shared a number of stories. Uh, and, and one of them that, that just stood out to me, because this message was already stirring in my heart and it just spoke to me. He spoke about... An old man, uh, they were at, I forget all the details, so forgive me, they were at some sort of um, crusade or something that he was, he was speaking at, um, and an old man came through to them, and, and, and Pastor Sias was with him, and, and he came, and, and he, just, he just wanted to get to, to Um Angus and, and just to bless him. He said, I just want to bless you, and he was weeping profusely, and he just said, you're doing what God called me to do. And I just want to bless you. And they hugged and prayed and all sorts of wonderful things. But that really, like, it shook me, you know. Because God is calling us to do something. He has a purpose for us. For each of us to build His house. To get us, our own hearts ready. To build our hearts. To equip ourselves. In order that we might build the house of God. Build the kingdom of God. And he calls each of us to do that. Don't get to the end of your life and realize that you spent all your coins on things that have no eternal value. 
I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that old man saying, man, you were doing what the Lord destined me to do, what the Lord called me to do. Because the truth is that God calls us, but if we don't answer, he'll just call the guy next to you. There's nothing particularly special about each of us. The Lord's work is the Lord's work, and it'll get done whether we do it or not. The rocks will cry out in the name of Jesus. We'll worship. We'll give Him glory. All of creation will give Him glory. It's our choice whether we just want to be a part of that. If we want to be privileged enough just to stand with God in this.